this morning is kind of unique because now that Thanksgiving is over, the Christmas season has officially started. I, I think Black Friday is now officially the new start of Christmas. It used to be the, the first Sunday following uh, Thanksgiving was the, the beginning of the Christmas season, but I think culturally Black Friday has uh, become the unofficial beginning of Christmas. Maybe the question I'd like to ask you is, how many of you have begun the process of decorating your homes for Christmas? Maybe the, the better question is, how many of you have already started and started before Thanksgiving decorating for Christmas? I know that for our house, that we actually broke away from our tradition of always decorating on the day after Thanksgiving and moved it ahead. And I, and I think in part, what we're noticing is that with COVID and the resulting isolation and all the ways in which people have been affected by the pandemic, many have looked forward to Christmas with a new anticipation. People decorated their homes and put up lights far earlier than they have in the past. Even to an unbelieving world, Christmas marks a time of hope and joy. And all you have to do is to drive around the neighborhoods over the past week and a half and to see the lights going up, right? And if you're a traditionalist more like I am, you're like, oh man, really? Like this is way too early, right? Now we're acting like most of the stores that start Christmas in September. But the reality is, is that even for me, I was like, actually, this is so nice. It's actually refreshing. Well, this morning we're going to begin our Advent series, Christmas Light is Here. And we're going to be focusing primarily on the chapter 1 in the Gospel of John. And we'll be looking at other passages in John as well. But the truth about Christmas is that God brought His light into the world. And this light provides hope in the midst of darkness and is everlasting. So here's my challenge to you as we move through this Advent season. Each time that you see a Christmas light this season, take time to reflect on the true light of the world Jesus Christ. So let's read John 1 together. John 1, verses 1 through 5 this morning. And that's going to be our text for this morning. We're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks at the latter part of John 1, and then we'll be diving into John chapter 9. But this is what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Lord, may you illuminate our hearts this morning to see and to understand your word. Father, may you push me aside and may it be your word who comes forth in power. God, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord God, may your word encourage and challenge us this morning and may we find our hope solely in Jesus. 
And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, at the heart of this passage is the idea that the light of hope is found solely in Christ Jesus, the living God. The light of hope is found solely in Christ Jesus, the living God. Hope is found in Christ, the living God. The light of hope is found solely in Christ Jesus, the living God. When we think about Christmas, we have all kinds of different understandings of who Jesus is. If you ask somebody in the world, they'll, they'll tell you who they think Jesus is, right? Many will say that he's a good man, a, a moral man, a, a prophet, a teacher. But Christmas is not about a prophet and a teacher. Christmas is about the coming promised son of Jesus who came 2,000 years ago, born to a virgin. And the Savior whose came's name was Jesus, the Son of God. Of the four gospel books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel of John is unique in its focus. While the other three books of the gospels, known as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, speak primarily of the ministry and teaching of Jesus, the Gospel of John focuses primarily on who Jesus is. In fact, in John 20, verse 30 through 31, we're told this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John wrote his gospel so that we might know who Jesus is. And if our question this morning is, is Jesus really God? Or is he just a good man? John is making the argument that Jesus truly is God. That he is God incarnate. God in person. You see, John tells us exactly who Jesus is. God desires us to find our life in Him, and therefore our hope is to be grounded in the truth of Christ. What we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe about Jesus matters. Who is this Son who came? Who is this Savior and Messiah? John tells us. And John calls Him the light a light who came into the world. And so John 1, 1 through 2 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now this is unique, because the, the use of the Word is important here. John's writing to a broad group of people. He's not writing to a specific audience. He's actually writing to Jews and to Gentiles. And his purpose, if you recall there in John 20, is so that we might believe in Jesus. And so what does he do? He actually uses the word 
understanding how Jews would perceive the word. Jews often referred to God as the word of God when referring to God's personableness, to his personal elements, to his personal aspects. It speaks of a personal God. Jews, excuse me, Gentiles, on the other hand, this word logos actually referred to the power or reason which controlled all mankind or controlled all things. So it was something that Gentiles often pondered, the word, the very which, the logos, the, the very thing that controlled everything, that put everything in order. And so John is now going to tell them, I have the answer. I'm telling you who is the Word. The one who is personal. The one who is almighty. The one who puts all things into order. The one who controls all things. You see, the idea behind the Word is that Christ then is the revealer of God. He makes God known to Jews and Gentiles alike. He makes God known to mankind. That's who Jesus is. Marcus Dodds put it this way, the word being thus already in use in aiding thoughtful men in their efforts to conceive God's connection with the world, John takes it and uses it to denote the revealer of the incomprehensible and invisible God. Because God is the revealer, or excuse me, Christ is the revealer of God, our hope is tied directly to who we believe Jesus to be. Our hope is tied directly to who we believe Jesus to be. So, the truth is that our hope in the light of Christ must be anchored in a few things about him. Our hope in Christ must be anchored in a few things about Him. The first is in His person. In His person. Notice what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Understanding the person of Christ is vital to our faith. When we fail to understand the reality of who Christ is, we will embrace a false gospel and worship a false god. It is vital that we understand who Jesus is. It's vital that we anchor our hope to the revealed Son of God who is revealing God Himself. Who we understand Jesus to be will show us who we really worship. You see, Christian cults such as Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, they reject the person of Christ which is spoken and revealed in Scripture. Let's see here what it is that we're to have hope in His person. The first is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. His personhood is made up of the fact that He is eternal. We're told that in the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 2, it tells us again, He was in the beginning with God. Why? Because in man's mind, we have a hard time comprehending anything that is not created. 
Think about the debates today, right? We talk about God and the question, and the right question is, well, where did God come from? That's a fair question. And so often you'll hear that. And then you'll hear on the other side, the side of science and culture that says, well, if I can ask you where God came from and how God was created, well then I guess you have to ask me then how was the world created? Both positions require faith. It's fair to say, where did God come from? And it's fair to ask the question, well, what caused the Big Bang? What's even more fair and what is even more right is to be honest with the fact that both positions require faith. The question is simply a matter of who you choose to believe. Do you believe that what God says in His Word is true, that Christ is eternal, that He is eternal and always has been? Because to acknowledge either position requires that you say that something existed before creation. Well, the Bible tells us that that something that existed before creation was God Himself. If we are to believe in Jesus, we are believing that He is eternal, that He was not created, that He has always been. Notice how this passage in John begins with, in the beginning, the same way that Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So what's being said here is that Jesus is not a created being. He always has been. He is eternal. Now some might argue that Colossians says that Jesus was the firstborn. In fact, some of the, the Christian cults or even Jehovah's Witness will argue this point that Jesus was the first creation. The problem with it is, is that if we look at Colossians, which is the, the passage that's often used, which they claim it says, well, he is the firstborn of all creation. They develop an entire theology around this without reading the entire context of the passage. In Colossians 1, 15-17, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. This is speaking of Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Well, He can't create all things. And He can't create the heavens and the earth and the visible and invisible if He Himself has been created. Now, what's important to know is that word in Greek, in Colossians, prototokos, is a word that actually means priority in time or rank in supremacy. The idea behind it is, is that Jesus is supreme. He is the supreme over all of His creation. It's not saying that, that He was born as a man was born or created, but rather it's saying that He existed before time, that He has always been eternal, that He has existed as God,
And as the son of God, he inherits all the benefits. He receives the reward. His position is supreme. So Jesus is eternal. The second thing is that Jesus is distinct. Jesus is distinct. Jesus has always been, but he is also his own person, meaning the Son is a person. Now, how does that work? Well, that's the Trinity. It is hard to understand one God, three persons. It's not three persons, three gods. It's one God existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is, the Son is distinct from the Father and from the Holy Spirit, and yet God. As our doctrinal statement here, redemption, puts it, they perform distinct yet harmonious functions in creation and redemption for God's glory. John 10, 34-38 affirms this when it says, Christ says, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father." Jesus is distinct and yet God. One God, three persons. One God, three persons. And we see that in the latter part of verse 1 where he says, and the Word was God. So he was with God and he was God. So Jesus is God. He exists distinctly as a person of the Godhead. And yet he is God. God in person. That's Jesus. God in person. Isaiah 44, verse 6 speaks of the coming Messiah. And it says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no other God. He's speaking of the Messiah. He's saying, besides me, there is no other God. That's why in Hebrews 1.6 it says that when the Son comes, when the firstborn comes into the world, He says, let all God's angels worship Him. God does not share His worship with anyone. In fact, His first commandment is what? That there should be no other gods beside me or before me. If the angels will worship God, if the angels will worship Jesus, It demonstrates that Jesus truly is God. And that's important. 
because the only way that he could present himself as a holy and perfect offering before the Father was to have no sin. And those who are 100% human and 100% soul have sin. But the one true God who came in flesh, who was 100% God and 100% man, had no sin. And he was offered up as a living sacrifice for our sin. Perfect and holy, redeeming mankind. So God, God, through his Son, redeems mankind. Jesus came as a light into the world because he himself is God. Well, what's the second basis of our hope? The first is in the person of Christ. The second is in the power of Christ. The power of Christ. It says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Our hope is not in an earthly human person. Our hope is in the eternal God. Our hope for salvation is in Jesus, the eternal God. It's not in man. It's not in in the faultiness of humanity. It is in the perfection of God. So our hope first begins in the person of who Jesus is, eternal, distinct, and divine. And then secondly, it's in the power of Christ. It says here that all things were created through Jesus. All things were created through the Son. In fact, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I don't know that we often think of Jesus in that way. That Jesus is the creator of the universe This same Jesus gave us His Spirit living within all those who repent and believe on Jesus. That same power that He used to create the world has been granted through His Spirit. That's awesome. That is a light in the midst of darkness. That means that I have the the greatest power, right? I mean, think about the most powerful power tool you've ever had in your hands. Or or the most powerful engine that you've ever had in a car. Ever just stood on something that is so powerful you stand in awe? Right? I remember going up to Oregon and going up to the dam, one of the dams along the river. And just hearing the, the, the turbines that are being powered by the flood of water. Right? all the power that's being generated through those turbines. That's nothing compared to the Christ that lives within you if you repent and believe on Jesus. That's why our hope is grounded not in our power or our strength, and it is why God says that we are, what? When we are weak, that we are strong. Because when we are weak, when we are humble before God, it is His power that works in and through us. That's exciting. 
That's why it's so dangerous when we adopt the culture's ways of saying things, right? I mean, as a culture, we've bought this lie that, well, and we hear this all the time, and on the one hand, we, we defame in our culture male masculinity, and then we, we celebrate women's strength. The truth is, is that while some of those things may have value in some ways, our strength as followers of Christ is to be Jesus. We are to recognize our weakness and then proclaim Him as our strength. I don't get the freedom to say, I'm a strong man or I'm a strong woman. Not if I'm a believer. We rob God of His glory. The undergirding strength is not self. The undergirding strength is Jesus. The one who created all things. And it's subtle. When we take control of the language, we begin to adopt things that we never really realized. And what happens is God loses His glory in terms of the way that we express it. What would happen if somebody looked at you and said to you, I see that strength in you, and you were to turn and say, oh, what you don't see is the weakness, because what you're actually seeing is God within me. How would that change when somebody asks you the question, how are you so strong? If you turned and looked and said, I'm not all that strong. It's my faith in Christ. Our hope has to be in Jesus. Our hope is not in an earthly man, in a good moral teacher. I don't know about you guys, but I have hoped in a lot of people before. And they have failed. Because they're human and they will fail. But we serve a God We have a Savior who is perfect, who does not fail. And it is His person and power in which we anchor our hope to. The reason I use that word anchor this morning is because when we don't anchor ourselves to Him, to the right understanding of who Jesus is, we will crumble And that's why you have a rise of of false religious teaching that speaks of works as a way of achieving holiness. Because faith is being put in a man rather than in the living God. Jesus, God in person. So the third place that we anchor our hope to, the first being in the person of Christ, the second being in the power of Christ, The third is in the perseverance of Christ. The perseverance of Christ. Verse 4 through 5 says, In him was life, and he, his life, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Whoa. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. 
Jesus is the sole source of life. That word in Greek is zoe, and it literally speaks to the principle of life. What he's saying is, yes, biological life, yes, but ultimately spiritual life. It's the idea of the principle of life on the whole. Christ is the giver of life, and it is through Christ that his light is granted to men. And it is only through Christ that we have the true light. It is only through Christ that we can have relationship with God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to me but through, excuse me, no man comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now Jesus persevered. He is the sole source of life. When we're walking through different challenges, when we're faced in the midst of a dark world, when we come, become confronted with our sin, what he's saying is Jesus is the answer. And when Jesus came into the world and took the weight of our sin on the cross, for all those who repent and believe, we now have salvation in Christ. It's not based upon our own personal works, but it's based upon the perseverance of Christ. It says that the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus broke through a world in desperate need of a Messiah. A world that was missing and had not heard or felt that the, the voice of God had begun silent and he comes into the world and he breaks through that darkness. And he does the same thing today. We can look out at our culture, we can look out at our world, and we can declare it hopeless. But in Christ, nothing is hopeless. With Christ, nothing is hopeless. That word here for overcome actually can be translated in two ways. To overcome, as it says, or to grasp. And I believe that it was intentionally used in this way. The first way was to say that the darkness would not overcome the light. Jesus' light would reign and rule, and darkness will not overcome it. Whatever you think is happening today in the world is not outside of God's sovereignty. God's plan and purpose is still working. Jesus' light is still available, and Jesus' plan is still going forward. The greatest attempt against Jesus' plan was one that was met with radical victory. Satan thought he won in the death of Jesus, and then God raised Jesus from the dead, and total victory was won over sin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine sitting on that Saturday after Jesus had died and wondering what was going to happen? Is it any wonder that the disciples then after this experience of experiencing Jesus risen from the dead, the hopelessness on Saturday, the pure victory on Sunday, that they themselves gave their lives for the kingdom of God? 
They understood that there was nothing that was hopeless and the desperate need of the gospel. But the other part of it that's meant in this is that, yes, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not yet grasped it. Meaning that there are those in the world who have not seen it. In fact, all of us have not seen it. So the light Yes, came into the world, and it's not being overcome, but also know that there are those who are not grasping it yet. And what we'll see in verse 6 next week is that God provides the answer. He actually reveals and brings someone to prepare the way because we serve a gracious God who opens our eyes to His truth. When we look at a world that is dark, when we look at a world that isn't grasping the grace of Christ, we aren't to move to a place of hopelessness, but rather we are to run to the light, to Jesus. Being reminded that Christ's light is still shining in the darkness and his hope and his salvation is still available for all those who repent and believe. And we need to be reminded that God's plan is not thwarted by the darkness, but that God has already overcome darkness through Christ. Hebrews 12, 1-3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Knowing who Jesus is, having hope that is anchored in his person, in his power, and his perseverance, may we be a people who display the hope of Jesus Not in despair, but in confidence and in joy. May our lives not be marked by the hopelessness of the world, but may we be reminded that Christ the light lives within us and that his hope is to reign through us. May that be our prayer this morning, that we hope on Christ anchored to the person, power, and perseverance of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize the hopelessness around us, and yet in this Christmas season, God, we long to experience your hope in new ways. Father, let us be light to the world, reflecting your glory and your truth. May we be a people whose hope is not anchored to the world or to politics or things that are going on around us or the severity of the situations and circumstances we may be dealing with, but God, may our hope be attached to you. May we rest knowing that our anchor is not ourself, or someone else, but our anchor is Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.